Today's episode is brought to you by Squarespace. With the help of Squarespace, tackling your next move might not be as difficult as it seems. Whether you're hoping to start a business, change careers, or launch a new creative project, Squarespace gives you the ability to create an online platform from which to make your next big idea known to the world. And with Squarespace's award-winning templates, creating your website is a simple, intuitive process. Start your free trial today at squarespace.com and enter the offer code PROOPS to get 10% off your first purchase, plus a free domain. Hey, Proop Kittens, it's your old pal, the Proop Dog. My back version of the smartest book in the world comes out this week. I'll be on KTLA Morning News with Sam Rubin on Wednesday morning at 9.20. Then... On Thursday, I'll be at Chevalier's Books in Larchmont at 7 o'clock. And then, awesomely, I'll be at Diesel Books on Tuesday, February 28th at 6.30 p.m. Join me at all these fine, fine events in Los Angeles. Love you. Oh, yeah, we're jumping right in tonight. Gentlemen, Greg Proops, Grammy Award winner Ryan McManaman. Uh, hello, hooray, hurrah, once again, the smartest man in the world, Proopcast takes you here from the salubrious confines of Western Hollywood's most enchanting comedy confabulation, the Bar Lubitsch, located here in the Western Hollywood district. Uh, it's quite red in here tonight, and we're very excited to be here. Uh, Ryan McManaman and uh, Matt Belknap, who run uh, Special Things Records, which uh, there's some several outstanding Greg Proops albums on, uh, won uh, for, uh, Patton Oswalt won for his album last night. He won a Grammy, uh, which was very nice, and... Um, I haven't talked to Pat, and we've emailed each other, but my understanding is he gave part of it to Beyonce and part of it to Adele. <laughs> and then uh, Macklemore wrote a letter about it. So uh, it was quite a night. Uh, so congratulations to them and a special thing, Records, and we're very, very excited uh, because, as you know, uh, there's not much going on in the world, and show business is super important right now. So... Thank you for laughing. Uh, Nolan and Jen gave me these lovely cufflinks here, and they're really beautiful. And I said, uh, Did you, do you work in an antique store? And she said, no, but I feel that sometimes I live in one. And uh, I know exactly how you feel. When you look, look up and there's a Thelonious monk looking down at you, you're like, huh. Uh, various eagles and woolly mazes hanging off my world. Uh, I have a letter from Prince Charles on my wall. Uh, Prince Charles and I were uh, lovers briefly in the 80s, and uh, we wrote each other notes uh, under the name of um, um, Skippy and Nippy. And um, uh, Now, he, I performed at his 50th birthday, which was some time ago. I'm giving myself away on this. I should have said I performed at his 70th birthday. Um, anyway, he was 50 then, and, and uh, he was just with uh, Camilla for a while, and she made a public outing, as I recall on that one. Uh, I think I've told the story because George Michael was there on stage and uh, he stood quite near Jennifer and she got to stand near him and shit and they made him change seats because this is England and only in England do you make George Michael change seats at Prince Charles' birthday um, what, the, the, the question comes to mind as an American what was the problem at any point did you have to go oh George you can't would you mind would it be alright would you be happy to move because that's how they do it in England would you be happy to move no I wouldn't I would like to sit where I was fucking sitting and I'm George Michael but, uh, and he had that really cute he had the jeans and uh, did he have a leather jacket on I want to say he had a leather jacket on he was wearing a suit I remembered exactly what happened that night now Jennifer and I will perform the scene yes I remember it well from the Learner and Low musical Gigi I'll be performing the part of Maurice Chevalier 
uh, and get everything wrong, as all men do. And uh, and and uh, Jennifer has served as my memory for quite some time now. Uh, it's like that Star Trek episode where they go to the planet where the entire repository of the knowledge for the universe is held, and the madman threatens to blow it up, as played by um, you know Adolf Schittler, our own. And uh, it was one of those many Star Trek episodes where they anticipated what was going to happen uh, in 2016 in, in November. And uh, uh, that's what our life is like. Or uh, one day, I'm afraid she'll pull the gambit on me that's pulled in the movie Rollerball with James Caan, um, directed by Norman Jewison, who wasn't. And, <laughs> and everybody thought he was. And he was Canadian, and he was quite acute. He made a lot of good pictures. He made the heat In the Heat of the Night, and he made uh, um, uh, a Fiddler on the Roof. And his name was Jewison, and he worked in show business. He worked as a filmmaker, and although not in Hollywood particularly. And every time he said he came to Hollywood and people met him in New York, they were like, uh-huh. And he's like, I- I'm, I'm Canadian. It's Jewins, It's Jewinson. <laughs> and they'd be like, mm. you, we loved Fiddler on the Roof. <laughs> he'd be like... Thank you. Mazel. Uh, it's, uh, I always thought that was funny. Um, and in that movie, Rollerball, uh, the, all the depository of all the knowledge in the world is kept in a computer in Switzerland, which in this point, uh, this futuristic uh, sci-fi thriller, uh, is liquid-based, which I thought was quite interesting. So it's just a big like, square full of water with little op art you know, ovals on it. And John Gielgud's in charge of it. And he goes, uh, oh yes, everything's in here. You can ask him anything you like. Although it seems to have lost the 13th century, hasn't it? <laughs> Not much, just a couple of corrupt popes and Dante! And then he hits it, bam! And James Conn's like... Yeah. And then it, then it starts giving the Newspeak answers. He says, uh, what happened in the corporate wars? And the computer goes, the corporate wars were fought so that superiority might be attained out of the existing corporations that were left on Earth so balance might be achieved. And he's like, what, 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 what happened in the corporate wars? The corporate wars were an important moment as an alternative fact came down the pipe. It was a f- and so he splits. And uh, I should have stopped on the first part of the story, which really got a big laugh. Uh, you won a Grammy last night. Cut that part out, Ryan. <laughs> Make this a Grammy winner. A Grammy winner. They're uh, the Italian Grammys. They're called Grammys. And um, not so many people fight for them. Me and uh, a couple of other. Uh, Nino, uh, what was his name? Uh, Volare. Whoa. Who was the, who was the Italian guy who did that? Everyone's in the crowd's like, I don't know, Greg. What am I, Dean Martin? He did it too. I know. I remember. But the guy, Nino, whatever his name was, did a very good version. That one and, of course, um, Sukiyaki. And I can't remember the name of the gentleman who uh, sang Sukiyaki. It's in Japanese. And one night, we were all in a bar, uh, Joel Murray, uh, Jeff Davison, Ryan Stiles, and I, and we were quite drunk, and uh, uh, I can't remember where we were, somewhere, in, in Milwaukee or nothing. And uh, there's only two alternatives, really. Uh, you, you travel around the country. Well, it could have been Canadian. Let's just say it was. And uh, at that point, Joel goes, um, I know all the words to Sukiyaki. And we were like, really? And he goes, yeah. Joel Murray has a fantastic delivery. You know him from Mad Men. Joel Murray talks like this. He goes, I know. I know all the words to Sukiyaki. And we're like, do you? And he's oh, yeah, let's sing for it. So will you sing it? I'll sing it. On and on, right? The whole song, like four minutes. And we're like, that was fantastic. And we're like, you know all the Japanese words? He goes, no. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I just know the song Sukiyaki. We sang it with such sincerity that we were all completely convinced he had memorized. Sorry if that joke bordered on Rents Priebus. <laughs> that was Sean Spicer funny. <laughs> um, mm, look at the presents we got. Uh, there was the one from uh, Nolan and uh, Jen, uh, who lives in an antique store. This is from Cricket. Uh, not, uh, it's a, coincidence, a complete coincidence, but I went to high school with a girl named Cricket. And what? And... Her last name, I think she's probably alive, but I hope she doesn't come for me for this, is her, her name was Cricket Fryer, which is one of the great high school names. You'll never... Greg Proops. Wow. Albatross. Okay, let's, uh, let, let's, let's cut to the pussy block on that one right there. Yeah, yeah. Smooth. Smooth is the only word to describe that. Cricket Fryer is a great name. Uh, although she didn't have my favorite name... Uh, Lissa Mako Dunstan yeah I thought that was a lot you know it's like being named Reginald Vandergaard you know Beaufort Perez de Cuellar the fifth or whatever and then, no, just call me Reggie uh, no one may ever have the same knowledge again from cricket it's letters to Mount Wilson Observatory and it's a very good book uh, people wrote quite strange letters to Mount Wilson Observatory between 1915 and 1935 somebody say that's yes, okay a uh, letter from Edward to the scientific community through the Mount Wilson Observatory to the scientific world to whom it may concern. This is to certify that I have found the key to all existence. And all, I told you it was good. This is, no, cat, it has a catalog number. Look, it's been cataloged. I just didn't read it to you because I thought it would bore you. But now I can see that it's delighted you. I, and all I ask is any one of us is for them to read what I am about to say because it is not my purpose to tell you what you already know and consequently the proof shall follow and establish my work to make it law. And I know what you're thinking. Read on. Uh, what did Tom Petty say? I need to know. I need to know. Baby, I need to know. All of a sudden, it's Are you okay? Have you had an embolism, Tom Petty? I mean, during the Muslim ban, I was so pissed off, but all I could think of was, Tom Petty's gone through this, man. He told us. Yeah, he don't want to live like a refugee. Sometimes, somewhere, somebody must kick you out. Oh. Hey, oh man, oh man, oh man, come on, buddy, go buy a bed, be a nice girl. Don't wanna live like a rat. All right, we'll get a place. Tom. Tom. Wow. The moon is practically all water, frozen, or ice. It was formed by water evaporating from the earth, which arose and gathered between the earth and sun. It is hollow like a pumpkin. And the inside... I didn't say it was a history book. I said it was a book that contained letters that were written in history. 
The inside is composed of that part of the air known as nitrogen and very, very cold. Consequently, its water is frozen. If the crust of the moon was removed, it would be a sun bright enough to destroy the earth. There is no life upon the moon, but without the moon, there would be no life upon the earth. There's many paragraphs. Let me cut to one that I think might be conclusive. Oh, golly, this letter goes on. There's another planet. It's called Etholium. Uh, yeah. Uh, is the, ba the base of all existence. It is one with electricity, and there is no place where it does not exist. Electricity is the spirit of all existence. I would agree with that. Hydrogen was created by electricity between nitrogen and oxygen. Yes. Uh, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost in human creation means the same as electricity. The Son and Etholium in solar creation, with the throne and the Son in the center of the solar system, even as the Son of Man is the throne of human existence, in the midst of men then, to overcome all mankind, even as the solar system is ruled by the Son, God, the Father, and all forms of creation, it is the same power, Father, or God, that first came into the center of universal gravity. That is undeniable. <laughs> Mr. Gertz from the New York Times, your question. The court is closed on this subject. Out outstanding book. There's nothing like lunacy in full flare. There really isn't. I don't mean evil lunacy, but fun lunacy. Like I know that I'm going to just show you what these are without reading the box because I think you're going to really appreciate my comedy a lot more after tonight. I don't know how they work, but I'm afraid to find out. But do you push them? Yes, push them. From the front. Like that? Yeah. Like this? There's a picture on the box. Well, I don't fucking read <laughs> I'm a man. I'm a man. Is there a woman that can do this for me? I'm blowing the gig. Here, maybe the woman that does it for me would like to read the instructions too. The instructions are just pictures. Yes, I know. <laughs> Jump into the spirit of the thing. These are inflatable male breasts. And when I put them on, it's going to be fucking funny. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you see? Pictograph one indicates a small child with a malformed head. Pictograph two, he's scrunching his own chicana. Yeah. Yeah, you stick it on you, okay. and then you squeeze it, and then it's supposed to stay on. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fuck these things. It was great while it lasted. Thank you. Cricket. I'll have Jennifer fix it at home. You know, tomorrow's Valentine's Day. And if there's two things a wife looks forward to, one of them is affixing fake breasts to their husband and inflating them. Particularly weird, flabby, white fake breasts. I think you're supposed to hide them under your shirt. Which, by the way, I do anyway. I'm in my 50s. So I thank you for those cricket. They're enchanting. Um, baseball quotations. This was given to me by Gareth. Lawrence. What about what happened to Gareth? Um, Lauren. Thank you, Lauren. It's not baseball season yet, but as you know, uh, in the off season, baseball fans gather uh, around um, a small uh, wood burning stoves all over the country and talk about how racist they are. And. <laughs> 
It's one of the great things white people do. And um, they talk about should we trade players like their chattel and whatnot and talk about players that don't have enough allegiance to their corporate masters in particular towns and how that makes them less of a person. And talk about players who cheated because they took drugs because the public and the owners demanded it. And that somehow they're bad guys, even though at work these people steal a banana pudding cup from the fucking fridge every day. <laughs> Baseball. It's excluding women as long as we possibly can. <laughs> we let Negroes play and we celebrate it every year. Aren't, aren't we great? We don't wear black armbands. We celebrate. Remember that day we let the one black guy play and no one shot him? still my favorite sport you were right to give me the book this one's a real baseball one these are umpire quotes and I have no idea why as I Lawrence Ritter who was uh, uh, I, I would hazard to say a, a, a deep acquaintance of mine uh, wrote uh, a seminal baseball book called uh, the glory of their times and uh, it was he interviewed world war, pre-world war one ball players and a bunch of players played with Ruth and stuff and they all talked about baseball then. And it's blue plate specials. And it's the manager driving a wagon load of barrels in front of the team on their way to the park. So they go, oh, look, a wagon load of barrels. That's good luck. We're going to win today. Yeah. That kind of shit. And then uh, uh, occasionally, yeah. Yeah. In any case, um, Lawrence Ritter and I were uh, chatting in a hotel room in New York. And I said, did you read this book? There's a book called The Men in Blue, where a guy interviewed a bunch of umpires. Uh, and it's an, it, I said, it's done in the style of your book, Larry. It's an oral history, right? A wonderful style where you ask questions and record the answers and you remove yourself from the so it's a monologue you see and that way it seems more natural and it doesn't have that intrusive I've got a thought which I always love in documentaries wait a minute um, and Lawrence Ritter said yeah I have a, I've seen the book he goes I don't know how he could have interviewed all those fucking umpires they're like talking to fucking cops <laughs> When he found uh, Sam Wahoo Crawford, he was in a laundromat in Wahoo, Nebraska, where Sam hailed from. And Sam was about 80-something at the time. And he'd been looking all over, and he'd gone through people's letters and court records and rang people up. This is the late 50s to record these guys. They were all really old. And uh, uh, Wahoo played for 14 years with Ty Cobb in the same outfield. Well, you know who Ty Cobb is. And they say now that it's a little overdone. Um, there's a new reassessment of Ty Cobb that tones him down from virulent racist psychopath to manageable racist psychopath. <laughs> and there's a lot of mitigating circumstances in his life. Obviously, his mother killed his father and his mother married his father when she was, I think, 15. And, uh, oh, it's so gothic. And uh, uh, an intruder was seen at the window and, uh, and she shot him and it happened that her boyfriend was there at the time and uh, she was exonerated immediately, uh, which was fantastic. Um, and uh, that happened while Ty was on his first trip out when he was 18. And his big stentorian, icky, cigar-smoking, virulent racist father said to him, Don't come home a failure. And uh, so I had always thought of my own Ty Cobb movie because of his trouble. In any case, um, uh, Wahoo played with him. And Wahoo and Tom, I think after the first year, never spoke. Or if they did, it was a you know, nice catch, maybe. You know, like... He didn't care for them. They didn't care for each other. And they batted 3-4 in the order, sometimes 4-3, and uh, they played next to each other forever and ever. And uh, 
<laughs> he went into this laundromat and uh, he was doing his laundry in Wahoo. And there's an old guy there and he goes, have you heard of Wahoo Sam Crawford? I'm looking for him. And the guy goes, I am Wahoo Sam Crawford. Um, and so here are some quotes and these are the umpire ones. It ain't nothing till I call it. If you knew anything about baseball, uh, when the pitch comes in, uh, the, sometimes the players will look up at the umpire or the catcher will look up and the umpire is already like, I already put my hand out. There's not like a renegotiating this because umpires are the police of baseball. And I remember that horrible massacre. <laughs> the Bowling Green baseball massacre of 1917. Ty Cobb killed 17 consecutive second basemen in a row by sliding into them with his spikes high. The umpire that day was President Grover Cleveland Alexander. These are alternative moments in American history. Tune in tomorrow for more alternative moments in American history. This was the moment when white people shared. <laughs> yes, great moments in American history. In American white people history. Alternative facts in white people history is brought to you by Rex Tillerson, Secretary of State and friend to the Russian Republic. <laughs> Whether you're looking for vodka, prostitutes to urinate on you, or just a square deal. Come on down to Tillerson Motors. We're running our operation out of the White House now. Look at this beauty over here. We used to call this place Estonia, but you can call it whatever you want. Will someone get me another drink? There's not that much time. I have 500 pages of material to get through in two lengthy fucking books. Thank you, my darling. Thanks, Kells. Kells gave me a book here that's not very spirit-lifting. Maybe we'll dive into that a little after the uh, when we start into the show because I got some stuff to get through here. Lewis uh, gave us this. Uh, the Brewers Rogues... The Brewers... Ro it, I assume that's the person who compiled it. Brewers. Although rogues, villains, and eccentrics, it's like, how, do, how are brewers that evil? <laughs> <laughs> Distillers. <laughs> Uh, brewers, rogues, villains, and eccentrics. Well, as we know, because of the Budweiser commercial during the, um, uh, uh, the Snooper Bowl, um, the, the Anheuser-Busch people suffered terribly coming over. Um, they were told to go home by a brusque man and a mustache. They were, they were forced to take a very long ride down a muddy road. Uh, at one point, it appeared he hadn't been able to, you know, have a bath or whatever for maybe a while. And uh, then he met another uh, German person who accepted him immediately after a cursory interview and uh, became a partner in the most famous brewery in American history. So when you think about the Clydesdales represent the legs of white people. <laughs> They strode through the mud toward their ultimate destiny of an easy job interview and a position as a partner in a giant brewery. Sure, there was, there was hard times to get over. They had to go to Polak Town to buy their whey and hops. When those poles struck a hard deal. Sometimes they'd go to Ukraine Town to get a pierogi. Look at the bizarre icons. 
Another alternative moment in white people history. Uh, let's go to the first one. Um, you know, both Kelly and uh, uh, Lou are famous friends of the show and have given us more than I could possibly describe to you here. Um, a Maltese falcon that Lewis gave us uh, gazes out of our window. And uh, I say to Jennifer almost every other night, ask me what it is. And she'll go, what is it? And I'll go, the stuff that dreams are made of. <laughs> Everyone who comes in the house, I say, ask me what it is. What is it? <laughs> You're hurting me. My God, son of there's something I can appreciate. It's a man who knows the value of things, huh? <sighs> oh, you may hang, darling. What is it, Angel? Is yeah. that what he calls it? Yeah. You may hang, Angel. Yeah. It's Valentine's. When I think of Valentine's, I think of Humphrey Bogart saying goodbye to Mary Astor and sending her to a, what is almost certainly capital punishment. <laughs> it's supposed to mean something. When, a guy, when you shoot a guy's partner, even if you didn't like him. Yeah, he's willing to see her hung. What's the line in a... Uh, the first, or, here, let me read a little of this because it's fun. Uh, Susan Mary Aristides, Aristides uh, 1957 to 2001, housewife and gangster. Uh, Aristides, Nee Hicks, was born in London and lived there until her marriage at 21, was the first woman and the first foreigner to rise to a prominent position in the Greek underworld. A milieu famous for its entrenched chauvinism. By 1998, she'd become the greatly feared enforcer-in-chief of the Dubrakos crime family and the most powerful in Athens. In May 2001, she was blown up when her Rottweiler, Boris, sat on a bomb she had in her car. Uh, yeah. This is hot shit. Did you hear the previous sentence? The first woman and the first foreigner to rise to a prominent position in the Greek underworld. I love that there's an encyclopedia that notes this. Uh, her Rottweiler Boris, Athens police chief Georgios Angelicus told reporters the handmade contraption was under the handbrake and a remote control device was found in Mrs. Aristides' bag. Her, her ears were tightly packed with cotton wool. Boris, who did not survive the blast, was next to her in the seat. Detectives concluded Mrs. Aristides was on her way to avenge the murders of two members of the Drabakados family. Fantastic. Um, Mrs. Aristides' Greek-Australian husband disappeared five years ago. Nice. Uh, thank you for this book. Uh, this is some sweet, sweet Valentine reading. <laughs> now that the heavy lifting's done, let's get into some jokes. Um, uh, I was in Vermont recently, as you know, where they were having a white people festival. And... Uh, <laughs> I didn't tell you about the rest of the weekend, did I? Or did I in one of the episodes? You were there for that, Ryan. Okay, good. Uh, and uh, uh, the second, the, I was doing stand-up subsequent to the podcast, and the um, po podcast went very well. Lovely crowd, a lot of maple gifts, more maple than I've ever really consumed in one weekend. <laughs> I like the flavor of maple, thank God, but it's not my favorite flavor. Like, what if you went to a place and everything was like, like lavender? Or did I pick a bad one? Do people love lavender? Like, as a flavor, no. As a scent, um, enchanting. I, I, ba I bathed in lavender before the show for hours. Jennifer will attest. She, could, she had to wring me from the tub. Uh, but when they put it in, candy? Uh, we were in France, uh, Jennifer and I, and, uh, and her uh, boyfriend and my girlfriend, and we were having the best time. And... 
we were in the south of France, and um, I went to this candy store, and they had lavender candies because it was um, uh, the put where you know where um, now I'm going to forget the name of the goddamn uh, uh, artist that painted. Cezanne, uh, the, the, where Cezanne painted the, the giant mountain over and over again, right? And, uh, and, and it was full of lavender, and it smelled like lavender. It was intoxicating. Uh, we were there in the spring, and it was quite hot out and whatnot. And um, is there an ending to the story? <laughs> Let's just all rest on a poetic moment for a moment. <laughs> Picture a green Renault rental, two-door. It takes regular gas, but I put diesel in it a couple times by accident. So it's not running as smoothly as it might. Imagine a sunny afternoon. Imagine, shut up. Imagine. I don't, you know, what, right? Gazole, gazoli, gazala, gazula. Haba gazula, michigabula. Bibbidi bobbidi boo. Put them together and what have you got? Uh, but the thing so you know a little lavender pastille a little wine a little vow we went to Arles which was uh, stunning and uh, Picasso used to go there to watch bullfights because he was a, a Spaniard deep at heart and a pervert of the highest order and um, would we have it any other way if Dolly wasn't a pervert what would you do what if Dolly went home and played checkers with Gala <laughs> Really? No, it had to be weird. So I was in Vermont, and uh, uh, they had snacks at the club, and one of them was um, two hot dogs. That was the order. <laughs> and it was very white people, the mommy come for bedtime, you know, uh, Jessica on telly, uh, Oscar Mayer, you know, the wagon came by and whatnot, and there was a dog, and it had a whistle. And uh, perfectly cooked hot dog inside a perfectly little warmed bun with that perfect... Uh, white people thing of mustard and the ketchup, right? Little pickle, whatnot. A little relish, relish. And uh, the order was two, and it was like, "Hey, go dog, you know, go or whatever the name of the you know, it was a co- comedy club menu." So it was one of you know, like you know, one of those, right? It was like you know, hound of a basker, you know, whatever. Like, okay, no, 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 boo, stop now. And uh, uh Stop with the cute dog and the thing. Pop in the hop. Okay. It's a it's a town. There was a. I grew up in San Carlos, California, which was a stultifying um, place of white suburban existence. Couple couple bookstores, and uh, there was a restaurant called the Pup and Hound, and um, it had a, a, a it was a hound, and 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 there was a pup, and uh, and it had a neon sign, and the tails went like that. It was great. And it was a real old-time thing. You go, like, I'll have a cheeseburger. And the guy go, whap. Right? Uh, so I'm in Vermont. And it's the second night. And I go, can I have a hot dog? You know, like, thank you. And, uh, and the guy goes, do you want two? Because that's how it comes. And I'm like, I- I'm not hitting a home run for a kid with polio. <laughs> like, <laughs> I got to go on stage. I mean, one hot dog's a lot. Am I wrong? I mean, it... I'm as high as the next comic, but wow. It's also not a digestible item, you know? When you eat a hot dog, it's not always smooth sailing right away. It's like, I have to go on in a while. Like, I'm, I don't want to be up on stage and be like, Bleh. I got some other jokes about how women let you down. Have I read it? Have I read it? 
two hot dogs. Sure, Timmy. Here comes the babe up to the plate. This is the second time today. He's already had a home run in the third inning off of Mahaffey. Now he's in there looking at the big right hander. He turns, he rocks, he fires. A... The slam bambino has done it again. The Maharaja of Mash. Oh my God, little Johnny jumped out of his bed. He no longer has polio. We've awarded the Babe Ruth the Spirochete of 1929 award for having the longest spirochete in any syphilis patient in our hospital. I know that this syphilis award is a hard one to win. A lot of dirty-faced kids out there looking up to me, and I just want to say thank you. Alternative Moments in Baseball History. Tomorrow in Alternative Moments in Baseball History, an all-Negro team takes the field in 1865. So I'm in Vermont, and I eat my hot dog, and uh, I goes on stage, and, uh, you know, I'm just killing. And... <laughs> they're nice, they're nice. Well, uh, I flew into your airport. Absolutely enchanting. Um, Play School International Airport. I said, what was it? It was like landing in an elementary school that had runways. There there was a water fountain and a ball basket. (laughs) Tan bark. (laughs) There was a cloak room. The laboratory. <laughs> For those of you who went to school in California, we had labs. We didn't have water closets because we didn't grow up in fucking like, you know, public school England or whatever. There was very little male on male, you know, dunnage. No, not a lot of cottaging at my grade school, thank God. So I'm in Vermont and uh, uh, I'm on stage second or third night, I think, and uh, uh, this cat's kind of drunk. And I know he's drunk because he's going, Jukari! <laughs> and I'm like, yes, I'm friends with Jukari. Cat! <laughs> and I'm like, Drew's been uh, working on the other projects without me for a while, and me too, and we're friends, and we hug. Cat! You know, so... <laughs> I calm him down, and uh, he, he's gesticulating, which is always horrible. And... Uh, uh, I'd made up my mind not to savagely browbeat anyone into submission, which is, if you've ever seen me do stand-up, I have been known on occasion to uh, take exception to talking in the audience or any kind of errant behavior. I brook no insurrection. Um, I don't know if you've ever been to a putsch with me at a beer hall, but I, yeah. <laughs> uh, I will Tenement Square, you. <laughs> yeah, you'll be a student standing in front of me with a fucking rose while I roll over you in a tank. <laughs> Uh, No quarter asked, you know? No quarter fucking given. And um, he didn't get Western with me till the end when his incipient racism poured toward the funnel. And at one point I had engaged him because he wouldn't stop being a nuisance and he went, America's white. And I was like, how did you come upon this strange conclusion? And he's like, 
And at that point, the security guard, who was quite large and very nice, uh, uh, you'd have liked him. He, uh, good looking, you know, polite. And uh, he came running over and I could see that he was desperate to chuck this fucker. And I thought, you know what? No. This is going to be better. I'm going to let him stay and I'm going to really lay into him and lay into uh, Orange 45 for like the next hour. <laughs> and he has to stay. That's his punishment. The truth is, if he'd left, he'd have just been like raged. You know, fucking see, they shut me down because I said America's white. And it was like, no, I went, you have to stay now. And <laughs> I ripped into him for a while and his television viewing proclivities and whatnot. The, the idea that he might uh, pleasure himself while watching Hannity while having an orange you know did that type of thing and uh, very clever stuff I assure you very t- top drawer w- Wordsworth to repeat something and, uh, in any case uh, uh, everybody after was like what a dick and I was like mm, this was not that bad a weekend um, but I did meet two black people and uh, in Vermont, which was nice, and then people were like, "Hey, there's there's people here that aren't white," and you're like, mm-hmm, "Yeah." Um, I live in LA. No one's white, okay? Hello, kittens. Support for today's show comes from Squarespace. If you've resolved to take on a new challenge, like starting a business, changing careers, or launching a creative project in 2017, be sure to lock down your next move with Squarespace. Squarespace is used by a wide range of people and businesses, including musicians, designers, artists, and restaurants, and allows you to create everything from a professional blog to a portfolio from which to showcase your work or an online store where you can efficiently open for business. You even get a unique domain to set you apart in your field. Plus, with Squarespace's award-winning templates, creating a beautiful website is a simple and intuitive process. You can add and arrange your content and features with the click of a mouse. And there's nothing to install, patch, or upgrade, ever. Though, if you do have a question, Squarespace's award-winning 24-7 customer support can help you with any problem, no matter how technical or trivial-seeming. Start your free trial today at squarespace.com and enter the offer code POOPS to get 10% off your first purchase, plus a free domain. That's P-R-O-O-P-S for 10% off your first purchase. Squarespace, make your next move, make your next website. I thank you, and the smartest podcast in the world thanks you. Uh, Live Love Random, uh, Ika Cupcake wrote me this. This is a Vermont State Police tweet from a week ago. Uh, uh, Ika wrote me this Greg since you were not here too long ago or just here not too long ago I thought this would give you a good chuckle exclamation point evidently they're a member of my family and they've been hiding (laughs) (laughs) if there's one thing Greg Proops loves and the smartest man in the world podcast adores it's a good chuckle why here's one from Vermont Moonlight in Vermont I'm mixing up another song with this I don't know the tune to Moonlight in Vermont Uh, The Vermont State Police verified account At VT State Police And I'm going to read it in the style of a 40s police radio To make the tweet better Interstate 91 North at exit 27 in Newport, Vermont Has been closed due to a maple syrup spill
pancakes have been brought in from all the surrounding counties. <laughs> wow. It says the fire department's on scene working on a cleanup. Uh-uh. Breakfast place. I want to see a thousand waffles on the road. Just... And then, like a cartoon... And then the dog that's nearby... The maple syrup spell. And the bird dips its face, you know. And a fox runs out... Right? And like two squirrels dressed as a man standing on each other. <laughs> well, the other one can. Hey, buddy! Did I catch you say we're trying to clean up the maple syrup spell? Well, we heard there was maple syrup spell and we rushed here as soon as we could. We're the blueberry syrup patrol. We're the outliers on the maple syrup, bro. The entire Northeast is full of maple syrup, but we stand by the blueberry. We'll meet you at IHOP, bitch. There's also boysenberry, which is always like, you got to be pretty high for boysenberry, right? When you're little, yeah, because it's sweet. But later at IHOP, as the years roll on, it's, you're gonna go maple and then you might go you might go blueberry but you're boysen like wow like I got I, I'm a heroin addict and in the daytime and then at night I go to IHOP for my one meal of the day about 4am and I eat one short stock with a whole bottle of boysenberry syrup on it that's the only scenario where I can see and then I play bass in a rock band which means I'm unemployed so I don't really do anything. Fuck. You know, at the time, keeps on slipping, slipping, slipping. What was that one? Oh, I'm skipping that. All right, we're moving on to this. Mm, we're skipping that, too. Let's go to the addendums, errata, eric, estrada, and uh, 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 complete enchirito testata. Uh, Loretta Lynch was the attorney general. Her name escaped me two episodes ago. I believe I uh, gave Yvette Clark, the congressperson, the job of attorney general. <laughs> Then I went to the government page to discover who had replaced Sally Yates as attorney general. Some short, I think it's only been seven days at this, of this recording, maybe 10. Uh, things are moving so quickly now. It's Nazi Germany. As Jennifer said on day four, we went from zero to fascist in four days. And now it's a new Reich every hour. It, we've, we've reached this insane uh, pace that's very exhausting. Uh, I went to the government page the, where the attorney general's page is where they reside. And it said one line about the new Acting Attorney General. There was no picture. There was no bio. There was no explanation. It said this. Government page. Dana J. Buente became the Acting Attorney General on January 30th, 2017. <laughs> double plus good. Double un plus good. Double plus good. <laughs> oh, stat wise. Government wise. Missive. Revoke and return. Revise chocolate estimate for 5 June 1983. Revise to government raised chocolate ration from 3 grams to 5 grams. (laughs) 
if you want to go to the Toronto Star, Daniel Dale is doing God's work there. And uh, Daniel Dale has uh, been awesome through the entire election. Um, he covered the Trudeau um, <laughs> he covered the Trudeau Benito uh, Chido uh, meetings today, and uh, so if you want to read him on the Star, he's fantastic. But he has a, a, a spot on the Star called the Star dot com news slash strokes slot news blah blah blah. Anyway, look him up. It's called Donald Trump Fact Check, and every day he goes through. Uh, if you want to maintain your sanity, don't read it in the morning before you have coffee. <laughs> Cling to the earth, won't you? Uh, um, because of what's happening in LA and the ice raids and what's happening all over the United States think fuck the air conditioning just kicked in I heard it kick in really hard that was awesome Um, there's two noises you'll never forget about living in Los Angeles the rest of your life wherever you go around the world one of them is that noise the noise of a giant air conditioner kicking in because it goes (laughs) and then you stop noticing it you won't notice it in two minutes uh, but when it starts up, it's oh, and and if you're standing outside a building, say you're in a car park smoking a bone, um, when the air conditioning starts in the building, you hear it start up from outside, right? You hear, gotcha, copo. That's the air conditioning. You live in California. There's two or three noises. Uh, the screech that a car makes when a car makes a left turn in front of it, when you actually should be able to go through, and the car's turning left in front of you anyway because it feels it has enough room to. There's that screech, the, and then the fuck you. It's a muffled. While the wave plays in a white Tahoe. That's just for nobody. Um, informedimmigrant.com stroke organizations um, will take you to a lot of places that you need to go if you want to help people who are in Los Angeles fellow Angelinos are being rounded up summarily by the government yes it started yes this is the 30s yes we get to be as sexy as uh, well my parents your grandparents your great grandparents were or great great grandparents um, they were very sexy and hard and had to do what they had to fucking do if you had anyone um who lived through the 30s um, the amount of fascism and uh, p- that they had to put up with the difference is we don't pass each other notes by throwing them into baskets or lowering them down on little fucking pulleys and shit like that uh, or pass each other on railway trains and stuff but we have our phones and, and um, what makes our resistance better and gooder and more effective is that it's immediate and it's worldwide and, and that's so fucking powerful uh, you can't believe it we know everything that they're doing wrong all the time now Right? They, it's exploded. They're, they're, they're a sieve. And um, that doesn't hold together, baby. That along with the legal uh, issues. And, yes, but what about the Republican Congress who's staunch? <laughs> These are white men concerned about their jobs. Uh, yeah, like in every administration, there will come a day. And uh, you'll see them run off of the good ship fucking orange lollipop so fucking hard. It will make your rat-like tail fucking go into a dither. You will perform a Stanford experiment. (laughs) There will be so many rats leaving that fucking ship. Can it be tomorrow, Greg? Honey, go to sleep. It's not Christmas. (laughs) Hard work every day. Focus. Don't take everything on. You're not going to solve global warming tomorrow, okay? But you can't make a fucking phone call. Right? Put it in perspective. Do what you do. And the pressure's on, baby. The pressure's on. I mean, they, they feel it. Why would they be acting this way? They, they feel it. There's a million people out every fucking weekend. There's a, people out in front of... People are storming congressmen's town halls. That's never happened. Not since Reconstruction. You know what I mean? 
how many videos have you seen? Florida, uh, uh, Ohio, uh, California, Utah. J- Jason Chavitz was the greatest thing I've ever seen in my life. You know, I really like Mike Pence. Woo! Kill the monster, kill the monster. This is what I love hearing in all of those. Do your job! It's Henry Fonda time, you guys. It's Jimmy Stewart time. More than that, it's fucking Harriet Tubman and Dorothy Height and fucking, uh, yeah, uh, Rosa Parks time and all the Black Lives Matter women time and the Mothers of the Movement time. They tried to warn us. They tried to tell us it was their doing that made us, that if there was any warning sign, it came from black women in this country and women of every stripe and people of color and white people ignored them and now here we are and now is the time for us to finally attempt to be sexy. Informedimmigrant.com The New York Times has an interactive uh, part And it's called Trump Cabinet Confirmation Votes And if you go there You can see which senators voted for it And you can memorize it Till the end of time Um, Because I suggest to you uh, That the Republican administration Which is what this is um, All be done with as collaborators At the end of this No, it's not going to be like Schindler's List We're not going to kick them off stools But the full extent of the law will be prosecuted when I become president in 2016. Well, I mean 2019. Sorry. I wanted, to, I wanted to give myself another year and I went backwards and inverted the number. Now they know you're working for Satan because all there is is sixes, different ways. Satan is dyslexic and that's why Santa and I work together so often. Uh, Ezra Levin, uh, Leah Greenberg, Angel, Angel Padilla, Sarah Dole, Matt Traldi have put together a thing called Indivisible.com and IndivisibleGuide.com. If you ain't heard about it, go to it. Indivisible, I-N-D-I-V-I-S-I-B-L-E-G-U-I-D-E.com. And if you go there, wherever you live in the country, you type in your area code and within 100 miles or whatever radius you can put it in, um, it'll tell you what's going on, what meetings are going on and what protests are going on all the time, every day. It's not the only source, but it's a very good way to start. Um, Going to these things will make you feel so much better about your life. I fucking gun, motherfucking goddamn you. I'm going to read one quick thing here. This is from a, a paper called uh, SZ. It's a German paper. Timothy Snard is a professor of history at Yale. Today's media environment is very different from the 30s. Everything happened so fast. This is his answer. This is part of what contemporary authoritarians do. They overwhelm you with bad news and try to make you feel depressed and say with resignation, well, what can I do? I think it's better to limit yourself. Read the news for half an hour a day, but don't spend the whole day obsessing about it. That's not going to happen, but I appreciate his advice. (laughs) Americans have to pick one thing to be confident about and then act on it. If you care about and know about refugees, the press, global warming, choose one and talk with people around you about it. Nobody can do everything, but everyone can do a little bit, and people doing their little bit will meet others doing the same, and the depression lifts. And I thought that was a, a, a beautiful thing to say uh, and like that. So, IndivisibleGuide.com. Food on Foot is an organization here in Los Angeles. If you want to help the homeless here, um, the official figure, I think, for homeless in LA is 47,000, but I think it's more than that. If you've ever taken a trip to the deep downtown, uh, you know what I'm talking about. It's a uh, Batman forever kind of uh, uh, nightmarish vision of thousands of people living really rough every night, uh, many of whom are mentally ill or have uh, a, a dazzling variety of problems. And really Really, the state should be looking after them in large, lush homes that are funded by all the riches that California has or the federal government has that they spend on um, the giant war machine and propping up, uh, you know, sending Eric to fucking South America or whatever for a weekend. You know, the, the shit we're wasting it on, whatever. 
that's an old ass argument. The point is this. We can do something right here, right now. And it's uh, completely hands-on. Um, I've been, and uh, Jennifer and I vetted it, and we've been the last two weekends, so I can tell you. What they do is they take homeless people into a program whereby uh, they go through several levels, and they're forced to, um, they're not forced to do anything. They're asked to, uh, they're beaten ceaselessly. <laughs> Follow me, I am your leader. There has been too much lawlessness, too much errant behavior. Um, yeah, I'm the one to tell you that. I almost tried to put on women's inflatable boobs earlier. <laughs> Unsuccessfully. I think my role as an authoritarian has been undercut, if not completely extinguished. <laughs> but as a human, a proof-manitarian, I will tell you this. Um, uh, homeless people can come and they hear about it at different places, different shelters and whatnot. It's been around for 21 years. And uh, Jay, who runs it, has been there every Sunday for 21 years. They have a staff of five, a very small staff and a crap little office. And they provide um, a full meal for a bunch of homeless people every Sunday. And then the more important aspect or, or the more overarching theme is that when people join the program, uh, they're given a task to do every day that they have to do and then call in and be responsible for. You follow what's going on. And then as they move through the program within 10 weeks, they can move from living rough on the street to having an apartment of their own, a phone of their own, and a bus pass, and a bank account that's uh, maintained for them until they earn five grand, and at which point it's turned over to them. So you can see how hands-on the program is and how uh, astounding it is to meet people and see people who were living rough on the street and had all, a dazzling variety of problems get into, involved with Food on Foot into this situation. Um, the love and resolve and the therapy that goes on, the counseling and the, the guidance, um, they're given wardrobe and haircuts, everything's, you know, grocery cards, the whole enchilada. And when they're moved into the apartments, furniture's bought for them and everything's set up. When they go for job interviews, um, a person goes with them to aid them in, in re-socializing. And it's an extraordinary thing. And to see people come through, they have like an 80%, I think eight out of 10 people after a year stick. Um, what's amazing about it is to give your money to something that you see the exact immediate result within that short of a period of time. We're not talking about a 50-year program here. We're talking about feeding people every Sunday and giving them clothes. And we're talking about getting people apartments and jobs and getting them off the street and back into the world and having some sense of their life again, which is what you find time and time again. We're all only a few paychecks away. And I'm not going to lay it on with a trowel, but I want you to know that this is a small thing you can do. So what can you do? You can go to foodonfoot.org and give them $5 or $10. I didn't ask you to pay to come in tonight, although many of you bought me expensive books, which I appreciate. Um, and you don't have to pay for the podcast. And if you're within the sound of my voice and you're listening and you're in Southern California, or even if you're elsewhere, you might think about doing it knowing that there are thousands of people in L.A. Um, who uh, are in need of this kind of thing. And that within uh, a week, every week or two, another person is given a home and a job and a career again uh, through this program. In any case, it's called foodonfoot.org. They meet every Sunday in L.A. You can sign up and volunteer to go if you want uh, and help feed people. And you meet them all and listen to their stories. And you have to tell them what you've done in the world, too. And they tell you what they did. And it's very nice. Uh, and you'd like it. And I just wanted to give them a big plug because it's a very worthy thing. And uh, they told me a lot of different comedians have gone from time to time, which I was very chuffed about uh, to see my fellow wizards uh, participate. But also... Um, the people that go there are lovely, and uh, 
It's not a lot of nonsense. You'll understand it right away. In any case, there you go. So, and then one other thing, and then we're moving on. There's a March 7th election. Uh, yeah, no, we, we have to look after the homeless. And th- this is a way to do it uh, without, um, with some focus and with uh, results that uh, are tangible. If you bring clothes and if you bring money and stuff, or you bring clothes, you can give them money online. Uh, people get them right then and there. And people are fed right then and there if you know what I'm talking about. March 7th, there's an election in Los Angeles. Measure H is the homeless measure. It's a a special election on March 7th. Now, I know we all live in L.A. because we're all sitting in this room. The people listening outside of L.A., you can do nothing about this, but the people listening who live inside L.A., I want you to pay attention. Go online, uh, and you can go to uh, lwvlosangeles.org, lwvlosangeles.org, and order a ballot by mail if you're not going to go vote on March 7th, which I doubt you're going to do because it's a little municipal election and there's a bunch of uh, initiatives on it and jazz like that why you need to vote measure h the los angeles county plan to prevent and combat homelessness to fund mental health substance abuse treatment health care education job training rental subsidies emergency and affordable housing transportation outreach prevention supportive services for homeless children families foster youth uh, veterans battered women seniors disabled individuals and other homeless adults shall voters authorize i'm reading you the bill Ordinance uh, to, li- to levy, levy a one-quarter cent sales tax for 10 years. That's it. With independent annual audits and citizens. People can vote this down or it couldn't get passed. Um, it would be really nice if uh, everybody went and got a little ballot or voted on the day. I know getting down is hard. That's why I'm sending you to lwvlosangeles.org because that's where you'll find your little ballot. You write in your address. They send it to you at your crib. You can send it back. It costs you 44 cents or whatever, a stamp, 46 cents. Um, but you can vote for this. There's lots of other ones, too. There's a marijuana one for my bros. But uh, uh, I think it's really important that um, uh, we here in L.A., th- this could really help. It's supposed to raise a lot of money. Um, L.A. has a zi- Imagine how much sales tax, a quarter of a cent of sales tax is. How many exchanges take place in L.A. in a day? Um, Kamala Harris, we saw, spoke, uh, speak at the... Uh, yeah, I know, right? Uh, Kamala for president. At... at uh, <laughs> Uh, she said uh, there was 10 million constituents in her in in this county yep. it, it's giant we're a country and that's what makes us awesome and, and I don't know if you watched Joy Reid over the weekend but um, she kept going California really seems like the center of the resistance and I was like you live in Washington or something like yeah 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 we're hot here it's the new dating W.E.B. Du Bois, not Dubois. The Secretary of Education, Betsy Dambuinia. Uh, yeah, the Education Department not only uh, misspelled W.E.B. Du Bois, the educator, philosopher, activist, and all-around uh, immortal American um, who've invented Pan-Africanism and co-founded the NAACP. Um, not only did she get his name wrong, or what, she didn't personally, but the incompetent illiterates who are running the department now under her ages, um, because she's hegemon, uh, 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 got his name wrong. And then and their apology spelled apologized wrong. <laughs> Bigly. Uh, because it's Black History Month, a few things, and then soon... W.E.B. Du Bois. He pronounced it that way. How do I know? Because I was corrected in Chicago. The power of the ballot we need in sheer defense, else what shall save us from a second slavery? He also said, 
either America will destroy ignorance or ignorance will destroy the United States. Mm. And I believe that all men, black, brown, and white, are brothers. Uh, Jennifer said today uh, about Betsy DeVos, a chicken in every pot and a grizzly at every school. <laughs> right? Uh, the Jason Chavis town meeting, we've covered that. In Palm Beach, um, there were protesters, uh, uh, as you may recall, uh, the Prime Minister of Japan, uh, um, who was, um, I-, I believe, uh, the Japanese symbol for his name this weekend, was highly embarrassed. <laughs> and uh, he met uh, our, our own uh, 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 Papaya Pinochet, and... <laughs> 45 pumped his hand like he was priming a fucking water spout that had gone dry some time ago. And it was imperative that the crops get watered. And at the end of it, um, there, one, there's no culture that has more formality than Japan. Let's just start there. There's probably a hundred ways to address someone uh, when you don't know them, when you do know them, depending on their position. Um, obviously, uh, shaking hands with Westerners is something they're quite familiar with. But this one, ha, ah, ah, ha, ah, ha. And then he went like this at the end. The Prime Minister of Shinzo went. Of all the pl- of all the places, I gotta. So that's right. He's like J- Jerry Lewis. And uh, there was that. Then um, uh, there were protesters lining the road as he left, protesting his presidency. And he tweeted, of course, that um, they were. Uh, they're cheering him on and that the news didn't uh, uh, report that because it's sad and fake. And you're like, wow, this is a Catherine the Great. Or was it Peter the Great? Peter the Great, uh, who had the towns built and had ever the serfs beaten and given flags so they could wave when he went by and whatnot. That was a real Peter the Great moment for me without the charm of a Russian pogrom leading dictator who... <laughs> Not since Yvonne the Terrible have I enjoyed the mass extinction. Keeping in the Black History Month theme, um, I have nothing against Adele. I don't know Adele. She seems nice. Uh, she, wear, she seems like she might be a, a, a person in a Star Trek who runs a planet. She often dresses that way and talks that way. Welcome to Cyclone 5. <laughs> Bloody hell. Oh, Crocky, you look like you could use a drink. <laughs> um, not winning. Uh, lemonade not winning or whatever. I mean, I don't. the thing about award shows you have to remember is um, they might as well be held on the porch of a plantation, okay? <laughs> because... They ignored hip-hop like Reagan ignored AIDS. Like, there there was no such thing as hip-hop for fucking 10 years. And then they gave it to Beck or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> rappers sat out the Grammys for years and years. Um, so it was really nice to see Buster Rhymes and Tribe Called Quest and all that. Uh, really call it out a little. I mean, this is a corporate picnic. And it's CBS, so you really can't expect too much. A few acts of sedition are enough. Katy Perry wearing a resist arm band, and 
Um, but Beyonce's album is a transgressive act. Uh, Beyonce's album is a, is a culmination. It's a capitulation. It's a compilation. It's a, an adulation. It's a, a recapitulation of, uh, of a thousand different important themes that don't have to do with white pop. And they have to do with black identity and black experience. As Adele said, all of my black friends really liked it, which was a very difficult sentence to get through as a white person. We all hid under the couch at that point, and we're like, don't. That's so close to saying I have black friends. But everybody knew that what was going on was that the Grammys, once again, did not come to the fucking fore. Um, When do they? When does any award show fucking thrill you to the core? Let me just ask you that before we even carry on talking about them. Have you ever watched the fucking Golden Globes and gone, fucking yes! (laughs) Fucking finally! (laughs) Finally! (laughs) Yes, The Martian had the best score. (laughs) No. It's... uh... Serena, Mc, uh, Serena McFadden writes for The Guardian a couple of sentences about uh, Lemonade the song uh, Don't Hurt Yourself underscores this point with a sample of Malcolm X's 1962 speech who taught you to hate yourselves the most disrespected person in America is the black woman the most unprotected person in America is the black woman the most neglected person in America is the black woman it's a speech which carries multiple meanings The occasion of Malcolm X's address was the funeral of Ronald Stokes, shot in the back by the LAPD, despite reportedly holding up his hands in surrender. This foreshadows forward Lemonade's most powerful moment, which depicts the mothers of the Black Lives Movement dressed regally. This is the video she's just talking about. Um and seated in various rooms of an old country mansion, holding portraits of their dead sons. There's Gwen Carr, mother of Eric Garner, Leslie McSpadden, mother of Michael Brown, Sabrina Fulton, mother of Trayvon Martin. Again, the mystical and spiritual reappear. A Mardi Gras Indian dressed in white blessing, blessing the seats at an empty table. A quick cut back to the women whose faces are painted like the ori. This translation leads to the powerful freedom where Beyonce performs for the gathering of black girl magic, who occasionally appear in formation, dressed in baptism, white cotton dresses, and who later are seated at a dining room table in the field, an elaborate dinner party, a safe space for the women to heal. Um, again, Adele's not a bad pop star, but wow, you guys, Black History Month started with Frederick Douglass being a guy that people are hearing about more and more. You know, I hear about that fucking shrimp scatter over at Sizzler. I hear about a lot of things. I got my ear to the ground. And if I want to keep up on current events, um, I'll watch Fox and Friends or uh, any number of game shows. <laughs> uh, the Establishment is a website. Ijima Ulu wrote this about white people. Uh, your survival is never dependent on your knowledge of white culture. In fact, it's required your ignorance. Um, she gets white people writing her on her timeline on her Facebook, and she says, Physician, heal thyself. Uh, I do, why do I know white culture so well? Because I'm a black woman. And while I and just about any person of color who spent their lives in a white supremacist society knows enough about white culture to write a book or two on whiteness and option the bestseller movie rights, y'all know almost nothing about us and even less about yourselves. Why? Because you don't have to. Why do I know white culture so well? Because I'm a black woman. I may be coming across as arrogant, but honestly, I'm just exhausted. 
It's more than that, much more. I had to learn to talk to my white teachers in a way that didn't seem too boisterous. And I learned why enthusiasm would be disruptive for me, yet welcomed by white boys. I had to learn what level of eye contact with cops seemed respectful, what seemed evasive, and what seemed challenging. I had to learn why clerks in the grocery store were following me. I had to learn why the same white people who clutch their purse around me when they have a coin will come running to me for help when they don't. I know what articulate really means. I know what thug really means. I know what the words tough on crime will do to you and us. I had to learn why a black president scared the shit out of so many of you. I had to learn how many times I could voice my opinion in a work meeting before I was labeled difficult. I had to learn how loud... I could raise my voice for I was labeled threatening. I know why so many of you want to say the N-bomb so bad. I know what face you make when you're about to shout it at me. I had to learn why so many of you think that people like me are why you are poor. I know why you co-opt our movements. I know why you still expect to thank you. I had to learn why your needs are default, but mine are divisive. I had to learn how to get not get suspended by white teachers, how to not get arrested by white cops, how to not get fired by white supersessors. Um... I learned, had to learn how the Irish became white when we could not. I had to learn how you could claim to rightfully own stolen land and how you still can today. Um, your survival never depended on your knowledge of white culture. The dominant culture does not have to see itself to survive because culture will shift to fit its needs. If you never ask who's picking up the check and know you hardly see us at all, even if you love us, you can't. We don't exist as a whole people in the most of the places you've been getting your information from. Um... I had to watch the Tea Party rise from your fear of losing the centuries-long promise that you'd always get more because we'd always get less, all while you brushed it off as fringe lunacy. I had to watch you high-five each other and celebrate an election already won while I could see that your parents, your uncle, maybe even your spouse was going to vote for white supremacy because deep down a part of them knew that they didn't earn all that they enjoy in this world and in a couple of years they wouldn't have the votes to protect the parts they stole. When I said all Trump supporters are white supremacists, I meant it. Yes, all of them. Um, there's more. Uh, yeah, you can applaud if you like. I, I find it powerful. Sometimes people get mad at me and write me and whatnot, and I understand where they're coming from. Uh, there's a lot of pain out there and jazz like that. Uh, but I don't think anything's more important. Um, when you have a sexist, misogynist, racist, white, uh, bigoted, Islamophobic president to take the side of everyone and try to understand where they're coming from and try to not be a white person. We invented ourselves uh, and until we understand that we'll never understand why uh, <laughs> why Mango Mussolini is this funhouse reflection of everything that we are and uh, that, that's why we're not immune uh, to uh, being guilty in the wake of him whether we supported him or not and uh, like that one last thing that's just crazier beyond all me um, measure. Um, there's been a lot in the news about North Korea launching this uh, Iran-bought missile that they chucked into the air. What you may not know, and if you haven't heard it, I'm going to hip you to it now. Um, he was uh, having dinner with uh, the um, Prime Minister of Japan at the Mar-a-Lago Resort or whatever it is in Florida. And... Um, CNN writes, the iceberg wedge salads dripping with blue cheese dressing had just been served on the terrace when the call came in. North Korea had launched an intermediate-range ballistic missile. As Mar-a-Lago's wealthy members looked on from their tables and with a keyboard player crooning in the background, Trump and Abe's evening meal quickly morphed into a strategy session in full view of fellow diners who described it in detail to CNN. It goes on. Lights were produced by Bannon and Miller on their telephones. First of all, you're not allowed to use telephones on super secret classified documents they did in a public place. There are millions of pictures on Facebook of this meeting. There's a picture of Trump sitting there while everybody's running around the table because the news just came in that 
North Korea launched a nuclear missile, kind of lobbed one uh, toward Japan without the intention of hitting them, but with the intention of informing everyone that we now can lob nuclear missiles. And it was dealt with at a dinner party. Then they split from the dinner party um, uh, that they were having with their wives. By the way, I called him Prime Minister Shinzo before. His name is Abe. Uh, that was what Trump calls him, was um, Shinzo. Uh, in any case, uh, as he, let's see here. He didn't, uh, they had a little press conference after, and 45 didn't mention the launch. Um, he found it impossible to resist dropping in on a nearby wedding reception already underway in his treasured grand ballroom. Entering the ornate room, trip, he took a photo with the bride and her bridesmaids who posed in red gowns next to the commander-in-chief, mimicking his signature thumbs up. Then he grabbed a microphone. I saw them out there on the lawn today, he said of the bride and groom. I said to the Prime Minister of Japan, I said, come on, Shinzo, let's go over and say hello. They've been members of this club for a long time. They've paid me a fortune. If you're within the sound of my voice and you have two lobes to rub together and you haven't written a letter to Mount Palomar Observatory lately, then I need you to take on board the absolute immediate action that this uh, requires. Uh, you, uh, you have time to stay in bed and you have time to do all the things you're going to do. But one little thing each day would be really groovy. Um, this can't be stopped fast enough. Um, and it's not going to be stopped fast enough by the regular channels. It's going to require this Byzantine uh, circle of... Um, mostly the judicial branch, it appears at this point. Uh, uh, but as I say, rats do leave a ship when the shit hits the fan. And that was the worst mixed metaphor that I hope to ever put forward. <laughs> Little shits will leave a rat as long as something's in the can. What was the one by Barnes and Barnes? Something's in the bag. Mommy. Something's in the bag. Mommy. <laughs> well, that's where we are. Um, the heedlessness we thought W was cavalier and showed a lack of stewardship, but we're at another level now. Um, we have Russian assets very close to all of our super secretive secrets, and uh, it's happened so quickly. That's what's so devastating. Um, but the end is not nigh. I just wanted to hip you to that because if you have any doubts and if you have relatives or friends that are still bubbling on the bubble, um, draw them over gently with gentle facts. Um, you don't have to hit them over the head with it and say, by the way, the entree was served after the salads were... It's all in the article. Uh, I feel like Joe McCarthy now. It's all in this briefcase. <laughs> I have the names of 250 Russian agents working for the White House, right? It, it, it's what, 60 years later, 70 years later, and we're, and we're playing this game again? Yeah. Except now it's reversed. Exactly. Now it's reversed. Then it would have been that we were commies in touch with the Russians. Now the truth is they're in touch with the Russians. Absolutely extraordinary. Uh, a couple of delightful things about me. <laughs> Just to break things up. By the way, this chair, sensational. This is the, this is the chair Magellan Road across the goddamn South Pacific. It was that fucking creaky. I don't know if anyone's watched Master and Commander lately.
like the alternative fact vessels pulling into port. It's full of information like white for white people. But sports are still important. You know, sometimes you have to fire a bitch for making a ruling against you. It's those times when your masculinity is tested to its very limit. That's when you have to take your tiny little fingers and wrap them around a man bag. Reassuringly presidential because you can't muster it. Reassurably reliable because you sold out to the Ruskies a while ago. Sometimes a bitch will get up in the Senate and read the words of a black woman when you're trying to push a KKK attorney general through to the top prize. That's when you need to stand tall, Comanchero. And reach for a cold, frothy man bag. Comes in three flavors. Non-alcoholic, asshole, and autocrat. <laughs> Tastes like your cock when your cock starts to rock. Sometimes your Slovenian pole dancer wants to live in New York. You're forced to go with the local talent that Bannon extracts from the depths of the earth. That's when you need to reach for it, Pinky. A man bag. Cold and refreshing because you're not. Pert and intelligent and tart because you can't be. Slender in a cylinder because your figure hasn't looked like that since Hector was a pup. It tastes like your cock, the beer that cheats at golf. Man bag. Also comes in small daughter sizes. Don't judge. I have a book. It's called The Smartest Book in the World. It's coming out in paperback uh, Thursday, the 23rd. I will be at Chevalier's Books in Larchmont at 7 p.m. for a little book reading then. Then we're going away for a weekend in Vancouver with Who's Live Anyway, Joel Murray, uh, Jeff B. Davis, uh, Ryan Stiles, me, and Bob Durkatch. The Smartest Book in the World will return on February 28th at Diesel, a bookstore in Brentwood. And then we'll all go for Persian food. Um, that, that's Diesel at uh, 6.30, I believe that one is. Uh, that's at the Country, uh, at the country Mart. You know, no more, no part of Los Angeles is more country than Brentwood. Oh, look, there's a giant TV producer slurping down on a piece of fried chicken. We saw Gavin Newsom at the Country Mart. You know, there's nothing more country than a lieutenant governor who's kicked the coke habit. That's why you want to go down to the country, Mark. Now I'll have some chitterlings. <laughs> boil that cabbage down, boy. Spin that hoe kick round and round. The only song I ever did sing was Boil That Cabbage Down. <laughs> Old Joe Clark, he had a house 15 stories high. And every story in that house was filled with chicken pie. Round and round, Old Joe Clark. These are white people songs. <laughs>
The 4th of March will be at the Helium Comedy Club in Portland. It's a Saturday, and it'll be at 420. Now, let's see what we did. Then we'll be at the Crocodile. We'll also have a book event there, and Planned Parenthood will be there as well. Then the 5th, uh, we'll be at uh, the Crocodile in Seattle. Um, that one will be a regular showtime. I think it's 8 o'clock, maybe 7 o'clock doors. Book, book event there and P- Planned Parenthood there as well. Then we're going to England. First, we're going to Paris. Uh, Jennifer hooked this one up. The 9th of March will be at Shakespeare and Company doing a book event there. Uh, tickets are limited, so uh, go online. Uh, I think it's about 60 seats in that room. And then we drink in Paris. And um, you have to listen to me sing standards. <laughs> it's a terribly disappointing evening on your end. But on mine, richly fulfilling. I gather French children around me. And they go, Aye! And I go, God rhythm! Aye! God music! Aye! God my gal, who could ask for anything more? Aye! God writes, you know, there's him. Old man trouble, I don't mind him. You won't find him round my door. Aye! God rhythm! Aye! God music! I got my gal. You, you, no one cutes up like Gene Kelly. No one cutes up like Gene Kelly. And having watched Gigi and American in Paris in the last few weeks, no, I'm not gay. And I make no fucking case for it whatsoever. I cried. And uh, Gigi and American in Paris. And Gigi Maurice Chevalier. No one is more happier with himself. <laughs> Is there ever a moment? No. No. There isn't. (laughs) I'm really late. Soho Theater uh, uh, on the 13th uh, in London. Then we'll be in Glasgow for a stand-up on the 15th. A vodcast on the 16th. Uh, Then we'll be in San Jose uh, the 24th through the 26th of March. Then we'll be in Lincoln Hall in Chicago on the 29th. Then on the 30th on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me for our NPR friends. Uh, and then in Brooklyn in May, April 24th, uh, back in London at the Globe Theater with the Comedy Store Players. That's Shakespeare's Famous Globe. We've got to get out of here. But I haven't talked about someone who I wanted to talk about. Um, Al Jarreau is swirling in the stars this week. He was a sensational jazz, rhythm and blues, pop singer. He worked with uh, disabled people when he lived in San Francisco. Uh, he was a magnificent. He really just left us so recently that it's amazing. Um, you'll know him from many songs, but I want you to play We're In This Love together because um, that was probably his biggest hit, although jazz was uh, his metier. Uh, there's no top. Go ahead and start that shit. This is some, talk about the wave. This is some fucking smooth, right? Uh, Aljo is a badass. Uh, anyway, we're going to all make it together because uh, we are all in this love together. And thank you very much for bringing all these fabulous gifts tonight. And thank you for listening to my spiel. And uh, uh, just know that when you get up tomorrow, you can do something good. And, uh, and we all can. Thank you very much. Uh, you've been the smartest crowd in the world. I'm the smartest man in the world. May every page turn be such a page. May every bell you and me. Cool Papa Bell. And maybe after my bonds. Make sure they're very bonds. I wish you nothing but love. Good night. Super loud.